All right, go ahead and open up your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Romans chapter 7. That's where we'll find our time here tonight. Romans 7, and we are looking at verses 1 through 6 tonight. Romans 7, 1 through 6. Paul just spent a long time talking about being slaves and slaves to righteousness is where we just found ourselves at the end of chapter 6. Here we are in chapter 7, starting in verse 1, down in verse 6. Paul writes, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit. For death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. All right, let me pray once again as we begin our time in God's word. <clears throat> well, God, I pray that you would be with us tonight as we open your word, that your truth would be made known. God, thank you for bringing all of us here tonight. I pray that it would be a worshipful time, that it would be a Christ-centered time, it would be glorifying to you. Lord, I pray that your word would come alive in our hearts and our lives, that we would seek to live for you, to bear fruit for you, to worship you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Illustrations uh, sometimes can be very helpful. Sometimes they can be uh, very harmful. Uh, sometimes they really land and they're good. And sometimes you've seen I've tried using illustrations and they really just fail. And you're like, what is he talking about? Uh, but they really can be used in powerful ways. One time when I was uh, uh, just before I was married, I was having a lot of back problems. Uh, I still, I feel like everyone has back problems. I still have back problems, but I was really having back problems so bad. And someone was telling me, oh man, you got to get that checked out. Like if not, like my brother, he had it and he had, you know, this disc thing. I don't know what he's saying. He had to have surgery. He couldn't walk all this stuff. I was like, whoa. And, and they're like, you don't want that, do you? I was like, no, I don't want that. And like, have you seen a chiropractor? And I said, no. And they're like, you got to check out this chiropractor. Like, okay. And I heard this chiropractor, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, he's a Christian guy, all this stuff. Like, he's good. Check him out. I was like, okay, I'll check him out. So I go to the chiropractor, and, you know, we're talking about, oh, yeah, you know, I, uh, you know I'm in youth group, doing all this stuff. And so, you know, he, he knows I'm in the faith, and he says he's in the faith and all this. Um, and then he starts looking, like, at my back, and he's like, oh, no, this is bad. I was like, tell me, doc, how bad? Am I going to make it? And uh, he's like, oh, man. He's like. And he uses an illustration. He says, 
It's like sin, right? Because he, he knows that I'm in the faith. So he, know, he knows I would relate to this. It's like sin. He's like, you know, at first it just seems like it's, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. But if you just keep it there and you don't address it, it will just continue to get worse and worse and eventually will lead to death. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and, and I can relate to it like this. And so this illustration was like powerful to me because I'm like. Yeah, like sin. I mean, we've been even reading about sin leading to death. And we're like, oh, shoot, sin does lead to death. Now my back's going to lead to death? Like, this is crazy. And I was like, what do we need to do? And he's like, I'll tell you what. It'll, if you pay cash today, it'll only be $4,000, and I'll, and I'll fix your back. And I'm like, done. And so I give the guy 4000 bucks. And uh, long story short, it, it kind of ended up being uh, – Kind of a scam artist, and he really just kind of robbed me of him, of my money. <laughs> that's not funny, but yeah, it kind of is. Uh, but anyways, that that's a whole other point. The point, the main point. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> that that wasn't even the point. <laughs> What's was he say? I don't know. I don't was know. it an actual crime practice? Huh? Was it an actual? I think so. I don't know, but it's just all to say. I did his program. I ended up feeling worse after it, and. You know, he comes rolling up in like his Escalades and like, yeah, oh, yeah, I'll fix your back and just give me more money. He's like, you got to sign up for for life. And I'm like, no, okay, I'm done. And he, that's not the point. That's not okay. The point. See again, my illustration's not landing. The point is that his illustration made a big impact on my life. Like it, I related to it enough that I was like, shoot, take my money. Like you got to fix this, doc. Like it was, you know, it was very important to me. That illustration landed. Okay. Paul here provides an illustration for us, or for his readers, and for us, that I hope will have an impact on us as well. Okay, Paul has been providing many examples of how the Christian has entered into the new realm of grace, into the newness of life. If you remember, he's compared the difference between being in Adam versus being in Christ. He has compared the difference between being dead to sin and being alive to God. He's compared the difference between being a slave to sin and being a slave to righteousness. Right? You see these comparisons. And what we see in this passage, maybe not quite a comparison like that, like A and B, but rather it's an illustration of how the Christian was bound in one way but is now free in a new way. And the main point of these six verses and the main point of his illustration is that the Christian – is no longer bound by the law, but instead is free from that bondage and is now bound to Christ and is free to live for him. That's what these verses are about. So tonight we're going to look really at two main points. The first being that our old union with the law is put away with, and we are now free to be united with Christ. And secondly, we're going to see how this new union with Christ then puts away our old life and in turn gives us new life to live for him. And that's where we're going tonight. So first, we're going to look at the old and new union that we see in verses 1 through 4. See, it gives us this illustration, the old and new union. The first thing we see in this section is that death breaks the binding power of the law. See that in verses 1 and 2. That death breaks the binding power of the law. Paul gives an illustration of marriage between a man and a woman. 
to show how Christians have been set free from their marriage to the law and are now married to Christ. Okay, that's what this illustration is about. Let me read verses 1 and 2. Keep that in mind, okay? <clears throat> or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Okay, the illustration is that of marriage. That if a man and woman are married, what? They are bound to each other, right? We know this. As long as what? As long as we both shall live. If one of those people were to die, then the other one could remarry, right? We, like, we understand this. Why? Because they're no longer married to their spouse. Because they're dead, right? Okay, so you're not married to someone who's dead, right? So you understand. Like, it's a very simple illustration. And this is the illustration. It, 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 is, it is to illustrate our relationship with the law and our relationship with Christ. Now, the danger is when people try to make more of this than they should. Do not view this as, as an allegory by, by assigning roles and meaning to every part of this illustration. Okay, well then if this person is the law and this is the husband and this is the wife, then that means then this and this and that. And then Don't do that. Do not project more meaning into this illustration than what Paul is originally intended. All right, it, it really is very that simple that – if they're dead, okay, you remarry. You're not still married to that person because they're dead. In addition to that, I will say this. Many people will use this, this passage, I think falsely. People will use this passage as a rule that the Bible teaches a Christian can only remarry if the other person is dead. I do not believe that is biblical. Okay, The example would be this, that two people are divorced and one of them who's divorced, seeks to be in a relationship with someone else, but the other person says, you can't do that because I'm still alive. And so that's being unbiblical. That's not what this passage is saying. Okay, so do not take this passage out of context and bring it into that. Okay, That's not the case. It would be completely random and out of context to for Paul just to begin making these rules about marriage. It does not fit this context at all. So be very careful about that. Okay, the main point is this, that law is binding as long as both partners are alive. But death severs a bondage. Death ends a relationship. That's the point. Just like in marriage, when someone dies, the other person is no longer bound to that person anymore until death do us part. And it's not even just in marriage. Like, just think about any law in that case. Okay, think about... When someone's committed for a crime, uh, when when President JFK, when he was assassinated, none of us were alive. Okay. But he was assassinated. And Damon, you, you were alive? Almost. Almost alive. Okay. All right. <laughs> JFK was assassinated. The accused assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, was never brought to trial. Why? Because he was killed before his trial. Right? Believe that he was assassinated. So why would they continue on with this trial? Like, why would they try him when he's dead? Like, oh, hey, Mr. Dead Oswald, you're going to jail. Like, no, you're dead. Okay? Like, you can't convict someone who's already dead. Law is binding only to the living. In our natural given self, we are bound to the law. 
Now here's the danger of law. Whether you're seeking just to keep man's law or whether you're seeking to keep the law of God, you cannot keep any law perfect and earn a right standing with God. The dangerous tendency that many of the Jews fell to and even many of us can fall to today is that faithfulness to the law is somehow a means of salvation. And that is not the intention of the law. And that is not how we are to interact with the law. Now, the law does have a purpose. We're going to look more at the purpose of the law next week. But the purpose is not to make us right before God. And some of you, maybe without even realizing it, live your life bound to the law, seeking to keep it as best as possible so that God is pleased with you. And I warn you that you cannot keep the law. And that your obedience to the law will not bring you any closer to God. What you need is is not to keep the law. Because you can't. What you need is to die to the law. We're going to explain that. Okay, we, we must die to one, as in the law, in, in order to be free to join another. Right? That's his point here. The, the, the illustration points us to the fact that we must die to the law in order to be joined to Christ. If you are still bound by the law, you cannot be joined with Christ until you've died to the law. That's what he's getting at, that we must die to one in order to be joined to another. And on the flip side, if you are joined to Christ, then you can't still be bound by the law. You would have already died to the law. And now you're bound to Christ. Those in Christ are no longer bound by this law, so do not live as if you are a Christian. Don't go back to the slavery and the yoke of the law. Now, salvation does not just annul the law. Okay, Salvation in Jesus Christ, it doesn't just throw away the law. It's okay, well then forget the law, like just throw it in the trash. No, no salvation completes it. The, the, the Christian is free from the bondage of the law, not because we threw it away. It's not that the Christian's like, oh, I'm free from the bondage of the law because we're just throwing it in the trash. No, but the Christian is free from the bondage of the law because Christ satisfied it fully by completely fulfilling the law. This is the new covenant of Jesus Christ, a covenant of grace, a covenant in which he completed the law on our behalf. So instead of being bound to the law, we must be bound to Christ. And that's really where we're getting at here in this passage. Okay, but he goes on. What we see in verses 3 and 4, and your next point, is that death provides freedom for a new union. So you have first where we see that death breaks the binding power of the law. Okay, so now, now that it's broken, now what? It provides freedom for a new union. Look at verse 3. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. We are now able to have a new union. How is that possible? Well, like we said, death terminated our bond to our old relationship. And we are now able to enter into a new relationship with Christ. It's possible only if we have died to the law. With that death, we are now free to enter into a new relationship. 
So we've, we, we've been saying over and over that we need to die to the law, right? Okay, only for those who have died to the law. We need to die to the law, this and that. But how do we do this? How can we die to the law? Through the death of Christ. The Christian has died to this law through the body of Christ. We see that in verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. He says in verse 4. The original language here I think is very important when he says, you also have died to the law. Because what, what, what is uh, specific about the original language in the Greek here? First, it's in the aorist tense, which emphasizes the finality and completeness of the death. Okay? If you have died to the law, that death is final and it is complete. It's not that... that you died to it, and then now you need to continue to die to it and continue to die to it. No, that it's done. And not only that, but secondly, it's in the passive voice, which means that it's not something the Christian can do themselves, but rather that it has been done for them. It's very important that we distinguish that. It's not that you have to work hard enough to finally be dead to the law. That's okay, if I complete this much of the law and for this long of my life, then I can shed it off. Then I'm dead to the law. That's not how it is. But instead, that is passive, that someone has completed it for you, that someone has caused you to be completely and fully dead to the law. How? How is it possible? Through the body of Christ. I'm not making it up. It says right there. It's very simple. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. He says it very plainly right there. That's how it's possible for us to be dead to the law. Christ completed the law on our behalf. Christ didn't just come down to earth as, as a 30-year-old man and said, all right, let's do this. Where's that cross? Let me die on it. That's not what happened. He came what? He came as a baby. And he grew up. And he lived a perfect life. Fulfilling the law. Never breaking it once. And through his body, through his perfect life, we have been credited his perfect fulfillment of the law. But it was not just his life, but it was also his death. That Christ died the death that the law revealed we owe. Because you and I have broken the law. And there's just consequence because of that. But through Christ's body, through his death, we've been made right. His death stood in our place if you are a Christian. His death gives us life. He, he died the death that we deserve. So how is it possible that we may be dead to the law? Through the body of Christ, he says. Through his perfect life. Through his substitutionary death. It doesn't end there, but his resurrection was the seal and it was the victory of it all. Now, how is this credited to our account? How is it that we can, that he can die for us? Well, what has Paul been talking about since chapter 3? How is it? Through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, look. Look at, we're, I mean, we're, we're in chapter 7, but let's go back to 3. We'll go to 328. What does it say in 328? For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. He, right? I mean, it's still in this context. It's very clear there that he, we're justified by faith apart from the works of the law. What about the next chapter, 4? Chapter 4, verse 24. 
But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him. Okay, faith. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And then what about the next chapter, chapter 5, 1 through 2? Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace. So you see, it's through faith in Jesus Christ that this can be credited to our account, that we can be dead to the law. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Do you have faith in this, in Christ, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection? If not, ask God that he may grant you that faith to believe. And for those who are in the faith, now that you have died to the law, you are like a widow whose husband has died. And so you are now free to join another. That's the illustration. That you died to the law because through the body of Christ. And so because of that, you are a widow. And now, hey, I'm free to remarry. And so now you can be joined to another. You can be joined to Christ. Christian, you are no longer bound to the law. But you are bound to Christ himself. Listen to what it says in Galatians 2, 19 through 20. This is Paul talking again. For through the law, I died to the law. So that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, even there he says it. This means that Christian, you now belong to Christ. No longer to the law. But you belong to Christ. That you're now with this, your whole identity changes. Right? To, to, to bring the illustration further, you're no longer married to the law, but now you're married to Christ. So your identity changes. Everything about you changes. Even your name changes. You are the bride of Christ. If you're a Christian, you're the bride of Christ. You used to be Mrs. Sinner. That's who you were. But now what? You're Mrs. Christian. You see? Because now you're his bride. You know, we just had a we just had a wedding. Richard, is your wife here? <laughs> yeah, you have a wife. There she is. She's right there. You do have a wife. All right. And it was a wonderful wedding. Uh, and, you know, for for those who were there, it was it was, just, it was lovely. And uh, it it was I was blessed that they asked me, hey, would you officiate it? I said I would love to. And the whole time we're doing it, you know, and we're going through the rehearsal and everyone's like, okay, we got to get this right, stand here, get the sound. And then, then the wedding day comes and everyone's like, oh, 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 we're going to do this, we're going to do it. You know, everyone's nervous, but then the music plays and everyone stands there. I'm like, okay, and you know, everyone's hands are sweaty, all this stuff, right? But then at the very end, at the very end, I say what? After everything happens, they go, okay, like we said the vows right, and we put the ring on, and Richard's like, oh, I messed this part up, but that's okay, and you can do this. But at the very end, I say what? It is my privilege to introduce, for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. Richard Comente. Everyone's like, yeah! And then everyone's so excited. Everyone cheers. Everyone's happy. All of a sudden, the nerves are gone. Like, this is the end of the wedding. Like, we did it. We're good. And what? The bride, she's overjoyed because now she belongs to her new husband. And what? He's equally overjoyed. Why? Because now she is now his. Right? And so you see this. Do you see the image of Christ? 
and his bride. Like we belong to him. I mean, I mean, and, and that's what a marriage is a picture of. Is Christ in the church. And this is what happens to the Christian. You are now Mrs. Christian. That's, I mean, you now belong to Christ. Like you are now his bride. You're allowed to be now. You can be because you've died to the law. And now you're free to join another. You're free to join Christ. Christian, do you know that you belong to Christ? Do you live like you belong to Christ? Or do you still live like you belong to someone else? Not only does, does the Christian now belong to Christ, but the Christian is married to Christ forever. Let's continue to read verse 4. We said, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, which is Christ, to him who has been raised from the dead. You belong to him, Christ, who has been raised to the dead. See, it is Christ who has been raised from the dead, and he will never perish. In fact, he has conquered sin and death. This is a permanent covenant. This is a permanent marriage between us and Christ. In this, we've been given eternal life, and we've been joined with the one who will never die. Therefore, this relationship is forever. It's permanent. It will never be taken away. We died to the law, and now we've been joined with Christ. Christ isn't going to die. We're with him forever. There is no fear that we may be a widow again and that we're going to belong to another. If you are a Christian, you are forever wed to Christ as he will never die. Do you see the comfort in that? Do you see the victory in that? Do you see the joy in that? That the love of Christ towards you lasts forever. That it is perfect. That it is unchanging. It is eternal. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And with the death of one union, it gives us freedom to have a new union. And this new union creates in us a new life. And that's our next section. The old and new life. Verses 5 and 6. The old and new life. First we've seen the old and new union. Now we see the old and new life. Verses 5 and 6. First we see that the new life brings death to the old self. This new life brings death to the old self. He continues in verse 5. He says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. How does Paul describe the Christian's old self? He starts off by saying, living in in the flesh. What Paul's getting at is describing the difference between the old and the new. He's describing the non-Christian, saying that they are in the flesh. And the implication is that this is the old way. And so he gives two main descriptions of the old way. The first is their sinful passions aroused by the law. That the law arouses evil in a person because the non-Christian is by nature against the law and is in rebellion towards the law. So when the natural person, the the non-Christian in the flesh is faced with the law, it stirs up sinful passions within. When the law tells us to to do something, we in our sinful nature desire to rebel and to do evil instead. 
And you may think, well, I, I do a lot of good works. I don't do a lot of evil, so this, this can't be talking about me. But even our so-called, in our natural state, our so-called good works are dripping in sin. It's not worship to God. But it is evil. And often it's self-worship. See, the issue is not a lack of good works. The issue is in us. The issue is the nature of the non-Christian, which is sinful. And the issue is in the corrupted, sinful passions. The second description he has of the old self is bearing fruit for death. Understand that? You're bearing fruit for what? For death. In no way do do the works of the non-believer ever lead to fruit of life. In no ways can the non-Christian do all this good. In no ways can the non-Christian go to church and and feed the homeless and and live a sacrificial life and never say a bad word and never do a wrong thing and then lead them to eternal life. Never. Many people believe that they do good works and as a result it, it credits them some kind of righteousness when in reality all it accomplishes is bearing fruit of death. To live a life of good works, believing that it will give you eternal life, actually does the opposite. You store up a false sense of self-righteousness, and instead, you are bearing fruit for death. This is the path and the result of the one who remains in flesh. This is the old life that is joined with the old union to the law. But the Christian is dead to this, he says, and has new life. And so then what do we see in verse 6? Our next point here is that this new life releases us from the bondage of the law. That's your next point. That this new life releases us from the bondage of the law. We see this in the first half of verse 6. He says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. He says, but now... See, but now is a big transitional statement. It contrasts the way in which the Christian used to be. The Christian is no longer married to the law. The Christian is no longer living the flesh in which he just described in verse 5. But now he is released from the law. The Christian is released from the bondage of the law because he has died to the law. This means that the Christian is no longer under any legal consequences. That once bound him. Why? Because they have died in Christ Jesus. And he is the one who took the penalty of their sin. We mentioned this a little bit earlier. But we have to look at it, I think, a little deeper. Because it's what he says right here in verse 6. That we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive. What held us captive? The law. And sin and condemnation and death. But Christ has set us free from this. Christian, you're not bound by the law any longer. You are not bound by sin or condemnation or death. Why? Because Christ has conquered all of it on your behalf. Do you see the victory that we have in our new union with Christ? It's way better than our union with the law. Do you see the privileges and the freedoms that we have in him? That with this new freedom and this bondage that's been broken, we get to the best part, I think. The second part of verse 6. So that 
We serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So lastly, this new life creates freedom to serve God. This new life <laughs> creates freedom to serve God. There it is. This is what our freedom from the bondage of the law and our new union with Christ leads to. See? This is a freedom, though, that only Christians have. For the first time ever, you are free to live in righteousness to Christ. The non-Christian can't do this. They're still bound. Their law, they, they haven't died to the law yet. They're still bound to that. They're not bound with Christ yet. But the Christian is free. And the emphasis is not just that the, that the Christian is able to serve God, but that that Christian will serve God. The word for serve here, it's, it's, it's not this, this voluntary service of a, of a hired worker that either says, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll work, or... No, I don't want to work. Someone else can do that. The word is a word exclusively for bond servants who, as, as John MacArthur puts it, that their sole purpose for existence is to obey the will of his master. That's the word. This is the beauty of the Christian life, that we will serve the Lord with our life. It's, it's, it's not a choice. It's what we do. It's natural now. We are able to live for our purpose and we will live for our purpose, which is to obey the will of our master to honor and glorify God with our lives. Is that true of you tonight? Is that true of your life? If you claim to be a Christian tonight, I ask you, do you use your freedom to serve God? Do you use your, your, your new life in Christ to fulfill the purpose of your life, to obey the will of your master? I think we, we see, and we skipped over this earlier, in this added emphasis in verse 4, the very end of verse 4. He says, in order that we may bear fruit for God. This is the point of our new union with Christ, that we may bear fruit for for God, that we may serve in this new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code, as it says in verse 6. Christian, is your life now bearing fruit for God? Not bearing fruit for death like it once was that we read earlier, but now bearing fruit for God. You see the difference? This is the evidence of your new union with Christ, bearing fruit for Him. Remember, you're not Mrs. Sinner anymore. You now belong to Christ. You are now Mrs. what? Mrs. Christian. So with that comes new identity. And with new identity comes new life. I said this before a long time ago. That your life does not dictate your identity. Your identity dictates your life. And I think people get that backwards. They think that their life dictates their identity. They say, oh, well, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of big and strong and fast. I'm kind of athletic, so, I, and I play a lot of sports. Therefore, my identity, yeah, I, I'm a jock. I'm a sports guy. Or, you know, I, I'm pretty smart, and, and I don't like to talk to people, and I get good grades, so that, that's how I live my life. So my identity, I'm a nerd, right? Or whatever, like, or homeschooled, whatever. And so, 
The point is, right, so, so people think, well, if I live my life like this, then therefore there, that's my identity. That's backwards. It's this is my identity, therefore this is how I live my life. Right? You, you take that in the Christian realm. You can't say, well, since I live my life by going to youth group and doing all these good things, therefore my identity is a Christian. No. That's backwards. Our identity is what dictates our life. And so if our identity is in Christ, then your life will be dictated by that identity of being found in Christ. So we cannot get this backwards. But if you are now united with Christ and your identity is now in him, you are now Mrs. Christian, then now your life is radically different because your identity is now radically different. And so those in Christ will bear fruit for God. This is the natural response, and it's a sure evidence of the person who's been united with Christ. To say that you are now married to Christ, but to still live the same, for there to be no difference at all, must make you question the genuineness of your conversion. How can you be the same? You are a new creation. You have a new identity. You are bound to a different spouse. You are slaves to a different master. You were dead, but now you are alive. Like nothing's the same, right? Except your life. Like, but your life's going to be the same? No, it can't be. Not if all those other things have changed. So if you're in Christ, I hope you can see evidences that your life is bearing fruit for the glory of God. I think one of those fruits of this newness of the Spirit, as he says, is now the joy to live for and to obey God. While the Christian is no longer bound by the law, the Christian, with the newness of the Spirit, now has a strong desire to live in accordance to the law, in obedience to God, and to live for his glory. The Christian can say with the psalmist, Oh, how I love thy law, Psalm 119.97. The Christian can say amen to John when he writes that God's commandments are not burdensome, 1 John 5, 3. This is part of the transformation. This is part of the new identity. And this is part of the new way of the Spirit. That the Christian now takes joy and loves to serve God with his whole heart and with his whole life. Is that true of you? Is that true of you? Do you take joy? Do you love to serve God? Is is this a desire that God has changed in you? What are the desires of your heart? What are the joys of your life? This new union in Christ creates new life. And this new life creates freedom to live for God. Christian, are you using your freedom to live for God? Are you using your freedom to serve him and to live for him in all that you do, no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice? Are you fully committed to your new love? Does your life reflect the change that has happened inside? As we close tonight, I ask, are you bound or have you been set free? You're in one of two places. You're either bound by the law and you're still married to it, unable to complete it, unable to fulfill it, resulting in condemnation and eternal death. 
Or you have died to the law. And you've been set free. And you are now joined to Christ who has completed the law. Who has fulfilled the law. And you rest in his new covenant resulting in eternal life. Either way you're bound. You're bound to the law or you're bound to Christ. But being bound to Christ is true freedom. Where do you find yourself? Maybe you find yourself still in your natural state, that you are still bound to the law. If that's you, there there are three ways you can respond to the law. Three ways you can respond. One, you continue to live your life seeking to break the law because you hate it. And because you hate the authority it has over your life and you want to resist it and you want to rebel any chance you have. Forget you law. Option one. Option two. You want to keep it. But you want to keep the law so that God would love you and God would accept you. And you want to build up a bank account of righteousness so you can show God, look at all that I've done. That's option two. Either option one or two, both lead to death. Neither are good. But there's option three. And this is going to the foot of the cross and laying it at his feet. Laying what? The record of the law in which you just destroyed, in which you just obliterated. To lay it at his feet and confess, God, I have broken it. And you look up to him in faith and say, you have accomplished it. You have fulfilled it on my behalf. And it's your righteousness that is credited to my account. That's option three. If you are not a Christian, you are bound and you need to be set free. And there's freedom in Jesus Christ. And your hope is found in him and nothing else. To belong to Christ is to be set free. To be free to live for him and free to serve him. And if you are bound to Christ, and I'll end with this to the Christian, if you are bound to Christ, and you have been set free, and you have died to the law by the grace of God, I urge you to live like it. As he says, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. I urge you not to go back to your old love, but to remain committed to your new love, Christ. I urge you to bear fruit for him and not bear fruit for evil. And I urge you to take joy in living for him, not begrudgingly, not out of obligation, but to find joy and satisfaction in living a sacrificial life for Christ. Christian, you have been set free. Don't waste your freedom, but use it to live your life boldly. For the glory of God. We pray. God, we thank you that we have freedom in Christ. Thank you for Christ's perfect life, his righteousness, his death, his resurrection, and that through faith in him, it is credited to our account. God, is by your grace, not by anything we earned or deserve, but only by your grace. Lord, I pray that we would bear fruit for you, that we would live for your glory. That we would love you because you have loved us. God, for those that are still bound to the law, I pray that you would break them. That they would die to the law and that they would be bound to you. God, we ask that you would be with us in this time. That would be for your glory and your praise. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.